Welcome to our third Friday of the month lecture here at Blue Point Bible Church. And what we're going to do is open in prayer, and then we're going to get right into our lecture this evening that I have prepared for us. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we give you all the glory, all the praise, and all the honor. We thank you that your word serves as a foundation for our faith, Lord, that we can read these things, search to see what is true according to Scripture, Lord. We can study to show ourselves approved, rightly dividing the word of truth. And ultimately, we know that we can come to an understanding of you. So, Lord, this evening we magnify you and we praise you. And we thank you for the edification that we can receive through your word. And in Jesus' mighty name, we lift up our praise this evening. Amen. Again, the lecture is going to be titled, Iron Sharpens Iron. And in uh, Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17, we read, Iron sharpens iron, so a man strengthens the countenance of his friend. Before we get into that verse and talk about the details, I want to bring us into the text and use the Amplified Bible, which is a translation of the Bible that uses, um, uses more of a powerful language, you know, language that we would understand. And I want to back up all the way to verse 14 and read through to, chapter, to verse 21 in Proverbs chapter 27. He who blesses his neighbor with a loud voice early in the morning, it will be counted as a curse to him, for it will either annoy annoy his neighbor or his purpose will be suspect. Again, that's a good verse for those of us that don't, don't like to be woken up in the morning. A constant dripping on a steady day of rain and a contentious, quarrelsome woman are alike. Again, I think of that constant drip of water that annoys you, just like that contentious, quarrelsome woman. Whoever attempts to restrain her might as well try to stop the wind and grasp oil with his right hand said as iron sharpens iron so one man sharpens and influences another through discussion he who tends the fig tree will eat its fruit and he who faithfully protects and cares for his master will be honored as in water face reflects face so the heart of man reflects man sheol the place of the dead and abaddon the underworld are never satisfied nor are the eyes of man ever satisfied and we see this again and again through the story of Israel, as they're never satisfied of the thing, with the things of God. They always want more. They always want to seek after a new idol. And if we're being honest this evening, we would say, we understand that. We know that we're never satisfied. There's always something more we seek, always something more we want. The refining pot is for silver and furnace for gold to separate the impurities of the metal. And each is tested by the praise given to him and his response to it, whether humble or proud. You see, the common usage of the verse, Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17, that iron sharpens iron, so a man strengthens the countenance of his friend, this usually denotes debates, controversies, discussions, how one man edifies another, ultimately the power of walk, uh, working and walking together. A couple interesting points about this verse is that iron does not sharpen iron. So we must ask ourselves why this is in the Bible. If you rub two pieces of metal together, it will only result in the production of heat through friction. To sharpen a raw metal, such as iron, it must encounter another substance that is harder or applied at the correct angle to shape and thus sharpen the metal. Usually what is used is a sharpening stone. With a raw piece of metal, one would start with a low grit stone. As the metal takes shape, one would change to a higher grit stone to better hone the blade. So you see, when we're applying this to uh, as iron sharpens iron, 
so man sharpens the countenance of his friend. You might say that as we grow in the grace and knowledge of God, especially for those who are babes in Christ or just growing in the faith, we must seek to know, are you seeking out those teachers, those teachings, and those opportunities that are the right material to sharpen you? You see, this takes wisdom. We must make sure that we're using the right stone to grow in our faith. If we're going to grow in the grace and knowledge of God, and we're, we're making that equivalent to iron being sharpened by iron, we must make sure that we're using the right stone to sharpen ourselves. In order to sharpen one another, one must have the ability to apply the necessary pressure to shape and hone that entity into a better product. If the two are exactly the same, they have nothing to offer one another, and as a result, they will remain dull and not be affected at all. Worse yet, you run the risk of damaging the iron that you're seeking to sharpen. Let's talk about what it means to have a harder substance. What, you know, what, what would be that, that, um, that stone that you would need to sharpen yourself against? We would say that it, the first thing for somebody who is growing in Christ, if they're going to sh uh, seek to sharpen themselves, they would seek those who would be wiser, who might know the, the Bible a little bit more, might know the teachings, or those who are good examples, who live out the principles of the faith. As the Apostle Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and, what ha and you have become convinced of, because you know from those who you learned it. So you see, again, it would be to seek out those who are living the things that we see in the faith, that understand the, the, the doctrine that we find in our Bible, as well as those that are living out the, 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 the application of Scripture, you know, living in love, living in honest lives, working for their food, amongst the other details we see in our Bible. It is important to know that at the beginning of this sharpening process, which I am comparing to our growth in Christ, if you use the wrong stone or misuse the correct stone, you can ruin the blade. As the sharpened blade takes shape, the rule shifts. A harder substance is no longer mandatory to further sharpen the blade. But now the angle by which the substance is applied becomes the telling factor. You see, just to kind of equivalent, again, bring that into growing in Christ, we would say that when we're babes in Christ, we're seeking out those who are wiser than us in the faith. But then we, become t we get to the point of an established foundation where we find ourselves as mature in the faith, or as the writer of Hebrews says, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity. So you see, when we become that mature you know, Christian and we understand our faith, we understand what we believe, and ultimately we're walking worthy of what we find in Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus says that the man who knows my teachings and puts them into practice is like the wise man who builds his house on the rock. So when we become that, it becomes less about seeking out those who are wiser, but rather it becomes all about the angle. You see, no longer is it about the harder substance. Now it's about the angle. The process of sharpening parallels the processes of building, developing, and growth, as I have noted in this lecture. Whether it is growing in the grace and knowledge of God, building a team, acquiring knowledge, or raising a child, the fundamental process is the same. One formulates a base or a foundation and then works off of the base, sharpening and honing whatever it is they're doing, whether it's raising a child, learning the Bible, growing in Christ. We would first establish a foundation, then we would work off of that base, shaping and honing to get the desired effect. Once the iron is sharp, due to the work of the harder substance, you now have a sol solid foundation. Now, even the thing which the iron could easily break 
or cut can actually be used to place the finishing touches on its edge if applied at the correct angle. This is where we begin to deal with the rest of the verse. So one man sharpens another. In the King James Version, the word countenance is used. This word means character. So it's saying, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens the character of another. This, essentially, what we are talking about here is character building. A large bulk of the book of Proverbs is speaking in that regard. When put together with the second half of the quote, it takes a person of superior character to help sharpen the character of a friend and to bring it up to that level. In other words, if you wish to have a sharp iron character or the best possible character you can have, you should hang around with those with iron character, not those with what we might call bronze character or a lesser stature than what you're looking for. I think friendships, I think of friendships like David and Jonathan in the Bible or Paul and Timothy where their friendships were built upon edifying each other and encouraging each other. Think about those friendships that hold you accountable, that are edifying, that push you to be better tomorrow than you are today. Those brothers and sisters in the faith who encourage your walk, who gently challenge you in love and re would rebuke and exhort you if needed. However, once you are sharp, so to speak, you can now deal with all substances. However, the angle will be vital. When I think of angle, I think of intentions. You know, if it was all first about me seeking out the right teachers and seeking out the right material, you know, again, having that harder substance that would strengthen in me, then if once I'm strong enough and I have a base, you know, we, we might say I'm, I'm sharp enough, the next thing would be in order to further sharpen myself, I need to make sure I'm doing things on the right angle. Kind of reminds me of when I was in Boy Scouts with my pocket knife. Had to make sure I was sharpening the pocket knife correctly, and then if you know the pocket knife became dull, I would need to you know make sure I just kind of sharpened it quickly. You know, so you would say once the knife was sharp enough to be called a knife, then it was just a matter of making it you know practicing and sharpening it here and there, honing it um, to be to work better. So again, now that's what we're talking about. Once we become mature in the faith, it's not so much that I'm trying to make the knife; it's that now I'm just trying to make sure the knife is continued to be used for what it's um, made for. So as we become mature in the faith, we must ask ourselves, what are my intentions when I share the faith, when I pray to God, when I come to church? Ultimately, this is why the Apostle Paul makes it clear throughout all of the New Testament that we must examine ourselves continually. So I want to provide a couple examples this evening. First off, what we do here at Blue Point Bible Church. Everything we do at Blue Point Bible Church is aimed at evangelism, which is leading people into the Christian faith, and ultimately leading those who come into the Christian faith to become stronger, firm disciples of Jesus Christ. So the way we do that is by trying to sharpen your character. We have classes, we have lectures, we have Sunday service, we have worship, we have prayer emails, we have um, you know, outreach events like Operation Christmas Child that we're, we're gonna be doing soon. We have fellowship lunches that we do you know, the second Sunday of the month. We have a, a harvest um, dinner that we have coming up. These are the type of things that we do to help you grow in the grace and knowledge of God. We want to be the iron sharpening iron. Also, those that know me know that I, did, I have participated in many debates and dialogues. You can find many of these on YouTube. Um, matter of fact, this coming Sunday, I was supposed to be participating in an online debate, and I have now since then canceled doing that debate. And I want to explain why, and I believe that has a lot to do with this topic. You see, once we become, let's say I'm a Christian, I have, you know, I've sharpened myself enough to know that I am a Christian. This is where I stand. And now my goal is to continue to walk on the right angle, I guess you could say. Make sure that I'm honing my skills, I'm growing in the grace and knowledge of God, ultimately to bring more glory to God by leading people in the faith, 
by being a good example to the world and ultimately living as what I would say Christ-like. So again, that is my goal, to make sure everything I'm doing is in line with walking Christ-like. You know, and again, we can think of the host of ways in our life that we, we need to challenge ourselves, you know, whether it's being a good husband, being a, you know, a good worker for your boss, whether it's being a, you know, a good father to your children. And, and again, I could go down the list of the things that you know, we should be walking worthy of. Well, for me, it would be walking worthy of being a Bible teacher or being somebody that can get on the Internet and can make a YouTube video and people will say, that gives me an image of Jesus Christ or that clarifies the knowledge of God for me. Now, I exited the debate because I'm afraid that people, and I did say that I am afraid, that people would become confused. And again, that has to do with check, looking into the intention, making sure the angle that we're sharpening ourselves on is indeed the angle that leads to edification or leads to becoming sharper. You know, I, I never want to take my pocket knife and rub it on an angle that's actually dulling the blade. You know, and again, I, I see this can happen in our walk. You know, if you participate in a debate that is not bringing glory to God, that is not clarifying the things of God, but instead confusing things for people, you would say you're running the risk of taking a pocket knife and jamming it against the stone and saying, okay, well, now you just missed the purpose of what the sharpening stone was for. You know, again, it was supposed to edify. It wasn't meant to ruin the blade and ultimately destroy it. So even in this, I'm, I'm giving you an example of how I've challenged myself to say, okay, well, make sure that you're sharpening yourself correctly, that you're, you know, that you're using the right angle, that you're using the right sharpening stone in these regards. I want to share some scriptures this evening um, to kind of challenge us in these regards and see what scripture has to say about how we can better sharpen ourselves to be the image of God to the world. The first text I'm going to go to is Isaiah chapter 35. And here I'm going to read verses 1 through 10. The wilderness and the desert will be glad, and Arabah will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It will blossom profusely and rejoice with rejoicing and shout of joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Encourage the exhausted and strengthen the feeble. Say to those with anxious hearts, take courage, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. The recompense of God will come, for he will save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. For waters will break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the Araba. The scorched land will become a pool, and the thirst ground springs of water. Thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals, its resting place. Grass becomes reeds and rushes. A highway will be there, a road, and it will be called the highway of holiness. The unclean will not travel on it, but it will be for him who walks that way, and fools will not wander on it. No lion will be there, nor will any vicious beast go upon it. These will not be found there, but the redeemed will walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord will return and come with joyful shouting to Zion, with everlasting joy upon their heads, and they will find gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Again, we understand Isaiah chapter 35 to be talking about the transition, what Israel was looking forward to through the new covenant. Again, that is very um, prophetic language speaking about the happy future Israel was looking forward to in their Messiah. Again, I, I don't believe the Messiah came to plant rivers and make you know uh, trees blossom and make everything beautiful. Again, it's, it's giving you a picture of beauty to tell you the glorious reality that would come through the Messiah. But the key that I wanted to point out in this text was verse 3. Encourage the exhausted 
and strengthen the feeble. Say to those with anxious heart, take courage, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance and recompense of God will come, but he will save you. And then notice what verse 5 says. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened. So if we're looking for miracles, you know, everybody in our world is looking for miracles. But the real miracle is going to be when the Christians actually live to the standard that we're called to live and actually sharpen each other to live in that mentality. So you're telling me, what, what, what Isaiah is telling me, is that if I encourage the exhausted, I strengthen the feeble, and I speak to those who have an anxious heart. And again, I, I, I don't think um, there's not many people in our room, but uh, anybody that's listening, I, I don't think I have to go too far to say, hey, do you know anybody that needs to be encouraged? Do you know anybody that might need to be kind of picked up out of the, the muck and mire that life has them in? Do you know anybody with an anxious heart that maybe needs a little bit of encouragement? I don't know. That just seems to say what the text is saying there. And when you do that, the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf will be opened, the, uh, the lame will leap like a deer. <laughs> if that's not miracles, I don't know what is. So when the world asks, why don't we see miracles, say, well, why don't Christians live out the standard that we're called to live according to Scripture? Let's start doing that. Let's start there. You know, let, let's not try to raise the dead and all these other crazy things. The way that we could sharpen each other is actually say, well, if we need miracles, why don't we do that? That's one text. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2. And I'm going to read verses 14 through 26. Remind them of these things and solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words, which is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. Now, real quickly, this is a letter, the second letter of the Apostle Paul to Timothy, his spiritual son. So he's writing to them, telling him, you know, you're a leader in the church. I wrote you one time before. Now I'm writing you a second time. These are the things that you need to tell those that you're gathering with. First off, we see here in verse 14, do not wrangle about words. Don't argue. You know, don't. Again, I don't think I need to explain that. I think everybody that listens to this or that's in the room um, understands what it means to wrangle about words. You know, don't argue over little things, petty things. That, you know, give that up. Because when you do it, it's useless and it leans, leads to the ruin of the hearers. You know, it's not edifying to you. It's not edifying to them. Be diligent to present, your, present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. But avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness. And their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus. Yeah, we'll keep going. I was debating if I wanted to read through the whole text. Men who have gone astray from the truth saying that the resurrection has already taken place and they upset the faith of some. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his and everyone whose name, who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. Now in a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and earthenware and some to honor and some to dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. But refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but should be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wrong, with gentle correction, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of truth, and they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been captive by him to do his will. And again, I don't believe that that text is talking about people in the world being given over to some sort of the demon that's leading them astray. Again, your mind is your adversary, and it will lead you each and every time against the things of God. 
You, you know, you don't need the devil to give you reasons not to come to church. All you really have to do is listen to your tired mind when you wake up in the morning, and that will tell you not to come to church. That will tell you not to love your neighbor. That will tell you not to be gentle to the person that's aggravating you. I don't need a demon on my shoulder. I can do it myself. You see, my mind is the adversary that leads me against the things we just read about in 2 Timothy chapter 2. When I'm in a quarrel, I don't believe it's the devil that's telling me, get hot, get mad, and get aggravated, and make sure you say hurtful words to this person. It's the carnal mind that works as an adversary to the things of God. So again, here, this text, if we were to sum it all up, we see there was a lot of detail there. Um, we're clearly not supposed to argue with others, not supposed to argue over petty things, not supposed to wrangle over words. I'm not saying that we're not supposed to argue. If you notice, it's, it, clearly we are supposed to argue because it's saying stay away from you know, gentleness, correct those who are in opposition. So clearly there's going to be an opposition. We're not just saying everybody's right and you can just believe whatever you want. No, there's opposition, but we're going to do it gently. We're going to teach you right. Now, if I'm gently instructing you and trying to teach you the faith and you decide to just want to argue with me constantly, 2 Timothy chapter 2 tells me I'm to have no business with you. Remove myself because it's not sharpening me. It's running the risk of being that, you know, that stone that is dulling the blade rather than sharpening, which it was supposed to do in the first place. So... There we have it, 2 Timothy chapter 2. is very clear in those regards. Moving forward into chapter 3, we have some other details, starting at verse 10. Now you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, and perseverance, persecutions and sufferings, such as happened to me at Antioch, at Ichium, and at Lystria. What persecutions I endured, and out of all of them the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But evil and impostors well, evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You, however, continue in the things which you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are given to you for the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Jesus Christ. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. I just want to go back to that verse right there in chapter six, verse 16 and 17. All scripture is inspired by God. We, we do not have the Apostle Paul. I don't have the, the opportunity to see the life of the Apostle Paul and say, I want to live like that. I don't, I don't get to see his persecution and his perseverance and him living his life to a certain standard. I don't have the opportunity to say, oh, I know who I learned these teachings from. Let me make sure I stick to them. That's not an opportunity that was given to me in the faith. So what I do have is this book, Scripture. Again, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching. So right there, if you want to know right teaching, pick it up. That's it. That's how we learn right teaching. You want to learn how to correct yourself for reproof? You want to learn correction. You want to learn how to be trained in righteousness. You want to be able and adequate and equipped for every good work? Study to show yourself approved. That's how we do it. That's how we examine each other. And if somebody's telling you otherwise, then that's not iron. That's not a good blade. That's a blade that is leading you astray and, and not bringing you into the things of God. One of my favorite verses is found in Philippians, and it says, Think on these things, that which is loving, that which is edifying, that which is peaceable, that which is, you know, I could go down the list, that which is pure. And then I look at the world we're living in, and I think about the conversations I have with friends, or sometimes not necessarily friends, but just acquaintances. And I think, no wonder this is so hard. No wonder it's hard to think about the things that are pure, think about the things that are good, loving, and lead to peace. and lead to, Because if you listen to the conversations of the world around us, it doesn't seem that they're really trying to help us. It seems that there's actually a, um, it's problematic to go to the world and ask them for wisdom. Because the world's full of that 
worldly empty chatter that the chapter before this was speaking about. Whereas we believe that in Christ, and, you know, through scripture in Christ and the church, is where we should be able to find those who will help us sharpen our character. And ultimately that's what we should be seeking, is those that will sharpen us and bring us into a better understanding. In Hebrews chapter 10, we actually read exactly that. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. I'm going to read through the bulk of this passage here up to 25. I'm sorry, I'm going to read through 25. I'm going to read the bulk of Hebrews 13. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he has inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from the evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to good works and good deeds, not forsaking our assembling together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Again, we understand the context. This being written to the Hebrews in the first century, they were coming and it was the end of the age, it was the end of time. Um, A lot of them began to just leave the faith. They left the faith of their forefathers because they figured, well, this guy Jesus is claiming that he's the Messiah, and many of the saints are, you know, many of the Jews are being led astray. The Gentiles are coming into this. Um, this is horrible. The faith just looks horrible. Then you would imagine the rise of the Zealots um, around 66 A.D., and they would have been basically telling all the Jews that the only way we're going to succeed and survive is by killing Rome and fighting against Rome. And you would imagine just being a religious Jew and sitting there saying, you know, well, maybe I'm just going to kind of. <laughs> leave all of this behind. And ultimately, another thing that was happening in the church, which Hebrews is specifically speaking to, a lot of the Jews who had become Christians began to be very discouraged due to the persecutions, due to the events happening around them. Again, we know the Neronian persecution happened from AD 64 to AD 66. Just imagine being alive in that time. It's safe to say that you would have had some reservations about going to church. And, you know, again, we look in our culture, and most people just don't go to church on Sunday because they don't want to wake up. Yet, imagine, I don't want to go assemble with the community because every time I assemble with the community, these people come and beat us and, you know, stab us and hurt us. I think it would have been pretty easy to say, you know, I'm going to abstain from gathering with the community from now on. However, what was happening was the, the more they abstained from gathering with people, the less they were being provoked to good work. You see, and that's the goal. When we come to the body of Christ, the goal should be this is where we find ourselves sharpened. This is where we become the people that we desire to be. This is where we're formed into the image of Christ, is within the community, the body of Christ. Again, I don't care if you're meeting in a living room, a church building, a coffee shop. That doesn't matter. Assemble with the believers. Don't give yourself excuses in this regard. Hebrews chapter 13 will further elaborate on why that's important. Let the love of the brethren continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For by this, some have entertained angels without knowing it. Again, there, I don't believe it's talking about beings coming out of the sky. It's simply talking about men entertained angelos, messengers, without knowing it. You know, nothing like entertaining a messenger of God or fellow brother in the faith and not actually knowing it, and yet you serve them. That's a pretty powerful thing. I've had those moments where I've served somebody and they let me know, yeah, I'm friends with your mother. Well, well, I'm pretty glad I, uh, I helped this person out. You know, again, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For by this, some have entertained messengers without knowing it. Remember the prisoners as though in prison with them, and those who are ill-treated, since you yourselves are also in the body. Marriage is to be held in honor among all, and marriage bed is to be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, 
being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I forsake you. So that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? Remember those who, lead, who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and consider the result of their conduct. Imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be carried away by the various and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by food, through which those who were so occupied were not benefited. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as an offering for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. So let us go to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come. Again, noting context. Through him, then, let us continue to offer up sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. And do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a good conscience, desiring to conduct ourselves honorably in all things. And I urge you all the more to do this, so that I may be restored to you sooner. Now the God of peace who brought us up from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. In James chapter 3, we read similar um, talk. James actually talks about, Do not let many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that we shall incur a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to brittle the whole body as well. Now, if we put bits into the horse's mouth so that they will obey us and we direct their entire body as well, look at the ships also, though they are great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is the smallest part of the body, yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is also set amongst our members, as that which defiles the entire body and sets fire on course of our life and is set on fire by hell. So again, we see that the tongue is that which can edify, is that which can drag down, is that which can break a person. So when we, we talk about the, the use of our tongue, when we talk about the use of our words, the power of our words, the building up of one another, we want to make sure we're using these things correctly. We're using our teachings. We're teaching the word of God as one who is studying to show themselves approved. We're teaching the word of God in line with 1 Thessalonians 5.21, searching all things, proving all things, abstaining to that which is good and letting go of that which is evil. And ultimately, we're producing edification for each and every believer. And 2 Peter chapter 1, again, a favorite text of mine, talks about this. Talks about that the qualities that need to be increasing, and if they are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, again, this is all about iron sharpening iron. This is all about us growing in the faith, and building each other up to become the image of God. Again, I've referenced 2 Peter chapter 1 as a uh, core passage for you growing in the grace and knowledge of God and finding that which gives you the character you're longing for. So in conclusion this evening, the goal of our conversations, our debates, our controversies should be to make one another wiser and better, urging you to grow in the things just mentioned according to Scripture. 
Intense debate and discussion have a long history in the Jewish tradition. The Midah of Pipul Hamadim teaches two values, the value of debate and the value of learning with others. You see, this is discipleship. Debate sharpens one's mind and makes the subject under discussion clearer. As the text asserts, iron sharpens iron. Spirited and learning discussion elevates one's thinking. It pushes one to higher realms of learning, thinking, and understanding. The rabbi Bar Bahana once asked his disciples, Why are the words of Torah likened to fire? As in the verse, Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 29, Is not my word like fire, said the Lord. Then the rabbi went on to continue, This verse is to teach you that just as fire does not ignite itself, so the words of the Torah do not abide in the one who studies alone. Rabbi Samson Raphael Hirsch once taught, isolation is incompatible with Jewish knowledge. It is only by association with living sages, in close communion with associates, and by the clarity of thought and judgment that can be attained by the teaching to its disciples that the knowledge of Torah can be nurtured and allowed to flourish. Simply put, one must combine a relationship with teachers, a closeness with colleagues, and a sharp discussion with students in order to tap all the resources of biblical knowledge. To end my message tonight, I want to exhort each and every one of us. Think about all that was mentioned here tonight, especially the scriptural exhortations on how we are called to live. To those who are young in the faith, who are continuing to see if they are strong enough to take on the world, to be the healing of the nations, to make known the manifold wisdom of God, as Ephesians chapter 3, verse 15 says, I admonish you, seek out proper stones to sharpen yourselves. Again, that's the goal of what we do here at Blue Point Bible Church. Seek out the proper teachers. Seek out the proper teachings. Make sure that the stone you're using is actually sharpening the blade, not dulling it. To those who are mature in the faith, to those who have actually been formed into the blade that they are called to be, make sure you are continuing to hone your blade at the proper angle. Make sure your intentions are pure. Make sure your intentions are godly and honor God. Teach the truth in gentleness, as Scripture says. Always be ready to give an answer for the hope that we have. And again, do it all for the glory of God. I ask you to, in our closing, to join with me in prayer this evening. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this bit of wisdom that we can find in your scriptures, that we know that as iron sharpens iron, so a man strengthens the countenance of one another. So, Lord, we ask you tonight that as the body of Christ, as believers who want to worship you and walk worthy of all that you have for us, Lord, that we would be able to, that you would give us that wisdom, Lord, through your spirit to find the stones that would sharpen us, Lord, that they would not dull us, that we would not put ourselves into positions or under teachings or in conversations that would dull the blade that is for your glory, Lord. Also, to those of us that are strengthened and, and, and are strong in the faith, Lord, that we would do things with the proper intention, that we would not find ourselves sharpening our blade with the wrong angle, Lord, thus making the blade dull in that process, but that we would do all things for your glory and all things for the edification of the saints, and that all things would be found summed up in Jesus Christ, Lord, that we would be the true image of God to the world. So, Lord, we just magnify you. We thank you for what we can find in Scripture, Lord, and we just pray that you continue to do the work in us. And we offer up all of this for your glory in Jesus' mighty name.